Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Hey, if you're a father in this place today, will you stand up? If you're a dad, will you stand up? Yeah. Hey, listen. Happy Father's Day to you, but I, I want to I exhort you this morning. I don't know if you know how important your job is as a dad. Your job is so important. And I think that the enemy is doing, uh, you know, a, a very good job of removing your position and inserting all kinds of other things because he understands the authority that God has given you, the responsibility as a dad to be the spiritual priest of your home, to be the, the, the head of your family, to, to lead your family in the biblical truths and to, uh, you know, reveal the father in your own character and the way that you, uh, you know, father your kids and the way that you uh, relationship with your wife and all of those things. And I want to just, I just want to, I just want to thank you so much for what you're doing. You might be here saying, well, you don't know what I'm doing. So listen, here's what I know is that if you're trying, you're doing something and God is pleased with that. You might not be where you want to be, but, you know, if, if you're continually striving to be who God is calling you to, to be, then you're doing your job. You just let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. We need you. We absolutely need you, and I speak for myself. I'm a dad. I'm speaking to me, too, but we need, we need godly fathers in this world today. So I just want to pray over you this morning, and uh, thank you so much for what you're doing uh, to be the father that God has called you to be. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for every man standing here today, maybe those online, those listening in the, the overflow areas, Lord. We just thank you for the fathers that are here represented in this place. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to be who we're called to be. We are the, we are the earthly image of who you are in heaven and what a high calling it is. And so, Father, we need your help. Will you fill each one of these men with your spirit? Will you help them to be the spiritual leaders of their home, Lord? Will you help them to, to uh, manage their families with, with love and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, Lord, with the fruit of the spirit? Will you just encourage these men, Lord, that uh, maybe even in their failures that you're at work in those things and you can use all of those things to bring glory to your name. So we lift up these men in this room today, Lord, and we ask that you continue to be with them, continue to help them to, maybe some of them, their, their children have moved on, that they're still fathers, Lord. So help them, Lord, to, to, to be who you're calling them to be and continue to give us the wisdom as we work through this world, Lord, that is trying to remove us completely. So we ask you, God, to fill us with your spirit this morning. And most of all, we thank you for who you are, that you are our ultimate father. You are our good, good father. You're such a good father to us. Lord, we love you. We praise you this morning. We thank you for uh, just doing all the things that you do in our lives. And we just give you honor and glory today. Thank you, Father. Happy Father's Day to you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you be seated? Awesome. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We've been studying 
uh, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit the past six weeks. We started in John chapter 16, you might recall, where Jesus told us that it was to our advantage that he go away. If he didn't go away, that he wouldn't send the helper who is the Holy Spirit. We also learned in John 16 that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that that actually happens through you and I as we allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us. That he uses you and I to, to, to be the conduits of the Holy Spirit in the world to woo people to Christ. And so what an important thing it is for us to be operating and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power that we've been given to be the witnesses that we're called to be in this world. And then for the last three weeks, we've been looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And how, at first in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, we learned about what those gifts are and how they work within the body and, and that we're, we're diverse, but we're unified and we all have different parts to play. We then learned about the motive by which we're called to express those gifts in and amongst ourselves through love. And last week, we began a two-part message called uh, the call to orderly worship where Paul teaches this church at Corinth, as well as you and I, how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit in a way that brings honor and glory to God. That we're called to do everything that we do, all things decently and in order. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in a, in a two-part message, part two of that message, uh, entitled The Call to Orderly Worship. So stand with me. We're going to pick up our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 20, where Paul reads, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let, them, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. 
as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in their churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from, from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are commanded of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but, in all, thing, but all things should be done decently and in order. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Lord, to bring clarity to our hearts and our minds this morning. Help us to understand how it is that we're to uh, operate in the gifts of the Spirit in the corporate setting. We pray, Father, that you would uh, just take any hang-ups away out of, our, out of our hearts, Lord. Help us to see clearly what it is that you desire to speak to us about this morning. Grow us up, Lord. Mature us in your word by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians 14, been talking about how to establish biblical order in the corporate worship service while utilizing spiritual gifts. You don't see that very often in churches where there is a true, a, a true uh, process of Things being done decently in an order, but all things are being done. You know, you either, you either see one or the other. You don't see the all things. You don't see the gifts of the Spirit being manifest in the presence of the body of Christ. Or you see them and they're done not decently in an order. And so that's exactly what was happening in the church of Corinth. And unfortunately, it continues to happen today. What we find in the Word of God right here is really the prescription of how to utilize the gift of tongues, particularly, and the gift of prophecy, the speaking gifts of the Holy Spirit in the corporate body. What we've been talking about for the last 19 verses is Paul sort of, you know, utilizing the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, uh, contrasting them against each other, relating to the corporate gathering and how it affects the, the people that come. Ultimately, what Paul says is it's so important that you focus on the main thing. The main thing is that the saints are built up. He, he's talking in context of the spiritual gifts being utilized. The spiritual gifts are meant to build up, but if they're not utilized in the right way, you won't be built up. And then he goes on to talk about the gift of tongues. And he says, listen, the gift of tongues is a great gift. It's a great speaking gift, but if it's not utilized in the body of Christ in a correct way, it won't be effective. He says, therefore, focus on the gift of prophecy. And so, you know, we've been, we've been going through that contrasting these things, and I think you, you have a good understanding of that. But by way of review, let's talk about those two gifts real quick. The gift of, the, the gift of what's the first slide I got there? The gift of a prophecy is a message from who to who? From God to man. The gift of prophecy is God speaking through a man to his people. It's always that way. 
And so it can be the foretelling. That means that he's telling you and I something about the future. Or it can also be the foretelling of the word of God. We have the gift of prophecy present in almost every gathering that we have, whether it's a small home fellowship to, ch to children's ministry, to youth ministry. We are utilizing the gift of prophecy. It's a message from God to man, primarily the foretelling of God's word. Why? Because Paul says it's most beneficial in the body of Christ. It's what builds people up. You know, if we want to grow in our faith, how do we grow in our faith? The Bible tells us that we need to get the word in us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so what we're going to see here is that the gift of prophecy, although Paul says that it's a sign for believers, it's incredibly beneficial for unbelievers. And we'll talk all about that. Let's talk about the gift of tongues now. The gift of tongues is a message from who to who. Are you reading that behind me? Did you, are you remembering this from last week? It's a message from man to God. And so it is totally inappropriate and not biblical and not the Holy Spirit if somebody speaks in a foreign language, whatever language that might be, and then somebody else gets up and interprets and says, God is saying to you this. That is not the biblical gift of tongues. That is not, I don't know what that is. But it's not the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is someone stands up and they speak a prayer or praise to God and somebody else, biblically, then the way that works is somebody else should stand up and speak forth what was said. They should interpret that. That is the biblical gift of tongues. And we see that that is not uh, utilized in, in many churches in, the, in biblical ways. It's not done correctly. And so what that does is it makes people afraid of that gift. They don't understand that gift. I, I want you to see the devil's handiwork in that. If the gift of tongues is truly a prayer or praise from man to God, how much would the enemy love to hinder that gift? Because he wants to be God. He wants to get praise. He wants to be glorified. And so what he does is he confuses it. And he mixes it up and people start to utilize it in ways that aren't supposed to. And maybe they don't know. Maybe they just don't know the biblical, uh, you know, definitions of what these things are. They're thinking they're doing the work of God. How many people have done that? And it's not the work of God at all. Many people have done that. Just because you mention God or Jesus in a sentence doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's done right. Doesn't mean that it's, it's being expressed correctly. Doesn't mean that it's biblical. And so we have to be careful. I think Christians are, are terrible at this. That if you have the word Jesus or God in it, then we're, we're, we flock to it like, oh, I've got to buy this or do that. Be careful. Be careful. You might find yourself down a rabbit hole that is not biblical. What we always do, and we'll find this in our text today, is that we weigh everything that's said. Through the word of God, it becomes our filter. We look through the word of God. What does the word of God have to say about this? Oh, somebody stood up and spoke in a tongue and somebody said it was from God. No. How do we know? Because the Bible says so. So we utilize the gift, uh, we utilize the word of God to become our filter and the utilization of these gifts. And Paul tells us what the ultimate goal 
of these gifts are in verse 12. He tells us that we are to strive to excel in the building up of the body. We talked about that extensively last week, that we're to utilize the gifts of the Spirit to build up others. And so I asked you a question. Why do you come? What is your point in coming to church? Is it to get something or is it to give something? Are you here to be built up or to build up? I think our motive should be, Lord, use me. God, use me this week. Use me in, in this corporate gathering. Speak something through me to somebody. Help me to be an encouragement to somebody. Lord, if somebody needs a correction or a training or a rebuke, Lord, use me. I'm available, whatever you want to do. Is God getting glory in that? Yes, because ultimately our gathering is about him. It's about him getting glory. But he gets the most glory when we're available to him and we're being used by him. And so there's many people in this building right now that are, are glorifying the Lord by utilizing their time and their talents and they're serving others and that, that brings glory to God. Thank you for our worship team. What an awesome time of worship today. Thank you for the children's ministry people who are utilizing the gift that they've been given to glorify the Lord, to serve your children, to pour into them. Man, those people, they're, they're awesome people. We're thankful for everyone who serves in this, in this building. Coffee shop, the media ministry, the people in the sound. You don't understand the, the pressures that are on in some of these positions, man, but they give themselves over because it's about the Lord. I'm on a, I want to be utilized, Lord. I want to I strive to excel in the building up of the body in whatever gifting that I have. So I'm here, Lord, to bring glory to your name through my offering, through my sacrifice, whatever it might be. And that's what Paul is talking to us about. Is he, that brings us up to verses 20 where Paul continues to have this conversation about orderly worship. And he kind of brings in four different mindsets that we have to have if we're going to maintain orderly worship. There's four different things that he talks about. He talks about the call to orderly worship requires a mature mind, a sane mind, a constructive mind, and a submissive mind. First... A mature mind. Verse 20, look what he, what he says here. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Isn't that an incredible picture of maturity there? <laughs> Listen, because Paul is in a sense parenting these believers, these immature believers in Corinth, he speaks in a parental analogy here, and he's basically saying, hey, grow up. You guys need to get, ma get mature minds. If you have a mature mind, it will lead you into infancy regarding evil. You're not going to think in evil ways. Your mind will be mature. You'll block those things out. You'll, you'll take captive every thought and cast away what's not of the Lord. You'll be infants regarding evil. But you have to be mature to do that. And he's exhorting this church to do that. The problem is the church of Corinth is incredibly immature in their mind. They're infants relating to maturity and they're experts as it relates to evil. You have to remember who these people are. They're coming out of a pagan culture. They're coming out of pagan worship and they're bringing much of their, their experiences from their past into the church. And that's why the church is so messy, so messed up. And we, we kind of do the same too. But, but Paul is saying, listen, you have to grow. 
you can't stay the same way you are. You have to grow. If, if this body is going to be what God is calling it to be, you, every person in this place, has to grow. You have to develop a mature mind. Paul is telling this church in Corinth that they have it totally backwards. I'm thinking they may be from Alabama. Roll Tide. You know what I mean? <laughs> I saw Brian was wearing an Alabama shirt today. <laughs> Listen. Yes. I understand what Paul is saying here because I have children and I know my children in their immature thinking think that the things that they do are fine and in fact I find myself playing along with them. We get into uh, you know into rambunctious you know mindsets in our house and we start wrestling playing ball in the house and all these kind of things. My wife because she has a mature mind says guys stop. Somebody's going to get hurt or you're going to break something. Well, you don't know what you're talking about because we have an immature mindset and then what happens? Somebody gets hurt or something gets broken. Listen, pray for my wife. She, is, she needs all the prayers you can get. We have put her through the ringer. She's still recovering from a lot of the things that we have put her through. But, but this is very much what the Church of Corinth was thinking. Man, look at how God's being glorified here. Look at how the Lord is being elevated in this place. And in fact, they weren't elevating the Lord. They were elevating themselves. They thought they were doing the mature thing. They thought they were doing the loving thing. And because God is interested in telling us the truth, we find that they're doing the very opposite of what they think. How many of you have ever found that to be true in your life? Oh, Lord, I thought I was doing the right thing, but in fact, I'm doing the wrong thing. Linda's the only one that raised her hand. She's the only honest person here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's the reality. Paul is telling this church, listen, you guys, you need to grow. When you come into corporate gathering here, you need to grow in maturity. Uh, because if you don't, you're going to take the focus off God. And how many churches have done that, folks? They've totally taken the focus off of Jesus. You don't hear Jesus mentioned. You don't hear a Bible verse even taught in some churches. Churches. It's not about the Lord. It's about you. How can we keep people coming in the door? How can we grow this bigger? How can we do that? And, and that's a mindset. That's an immature mindset that doesn't understand why we gather in the first place. And Paul is trying to change that within this culture, within these people. They are very self-focused. And he's telling them that a mature mindset is others-focused. A mature mindset will, you see it, and when somebody's mature, they serve other people. They don't make their gathering together about themselves, but they make it about others. You know the kind of mindset where you have a conversation with somebody, and, and after 10 minutes, you know everything about them, because all they've done is talk about themselves. You're thinking, wow, I guess you don't want to know about me. That is what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to be other-centered. Jesus was other-centered. Jesus had a mature mindset, and so he served other people. He was always looking to, to, to minister to somebody else, not himself. He was looking to minister to somebody else. Hey, listen, you need to grow spiritually, of course, but you know how you grow spiritually? Serve other people. You will grow so much faster when you begin to serve other people and you see how the Lord works and you see the kind of things that you need to, 
uh, you know, learn in, in all of that. God will always stretch you. He'll always stretch you. You, you may never, ever feel comfortable in your ministry. But you know what? If you're doing it correctly, you'll always be growing. You'll always be growing. He wants you to serve others, folks. Do you have a mature mindset this morning? All you have to do is ask yourself, who am I focused on? If it's you, then you don't. If it's others, then you do. A mature mind will yield to an edifying worship service. So, the call to orderly worship requires a mature mind. Secondly, a sane mind. Paul goes on to what perhaps could be some of the toughest passages to, uh, you know, interpret because in one sense he says one thing and then he directly seems to contradict himself, but he does not. And hopefully I can do a, a good job of explaining this to you. So, so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look at verse 21 where Paul says, In the law it is written... By people of strange tongues, by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then will, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say, you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever and outsider enters, he is convicted by all, um, he is called to account by all, the secrets of the heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. In verse 23, notice what Paul says here. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Wait a second. Didn't he just say that tongues are a sign for unbelievers? But then he said, if you're speaking in tongues in a, in a congregational setting like that, that people are going to say you're out of your mind? That phrase, out of your mind, literally means you're insane. You're insane. What he's saying here, he's talking to us about, uh, you know, what the sign represents, but then he's telling us how to utilize the sign so that it, so that it is utilized correctly. And I'll explain that in a second. Paul is saying if people walk into a setting where, where people are randomly standing up and speaking in other languages, that's what a tongue is, that unbelievers are going to come in and go, dude, this is crazyville. I don't want anything to do with this. This is weird. And listen, to be truthful, as a believer, I would think that. As a believer, I would think that. I would think, like, as a, as a new believer, particularly... Um, I don't know where I got that, probably from my background, my, my mom telling me that people speaking in tongues is demonic and all of that kind of stuff. That's probably where I got that mindset from. But anytime there was any interaction with people in the congregation in a church, my wife and I were out the door, dude, before anything ever happened. We, we, were, we were very spooked by that kind of stuff. We were believers, we were immature believers. We hadn't grown in the Lord and hadn't gained understanding of that. How much more do you think unbelievers are going to think? That kind of thing when they come into a setting where it's, it, it seems to be out of order, seems to be chaotic. And so, um, you know, Paul is trying to help us understand that the way that we manifest these gifts matters because it can push people away from the Lord. How many of you want to go to an insane person's church? 
Some of you want to go into an, insane, into an insane situation like, man, that was awesome. It was insane. Not in a good way. You probably don't want to do that. How many of you want to go into a situation where it's Holy Spirit led and the Spirit is moving, but it's done in decently and in order? Awesome. Yeah, we all should want that. It's exactly what we hope is happening here. That the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself in different ways and, and people are, are growing in all these kinds of things. We need to worship sanely if we desire to bring glory to Christ. We need to worship sanely in order for that to happen. Now, it, it's interesting here as Paul explains the utilization of the gifts and who they're for here. When he talks about tongues, it's interesting how he begins this because he starts in verse 21 where he quotes, in the law it is written. What Paul is quoting here comes from Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 49 which reads, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar away from the end of the earth swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. Uh, God speaking through Moses tells the nation of Israel a sign of judgment from God is when you hear foreign language in your midst, on your soil, in your cities. He said, when you hear that, then guess what? You're in trouble. You've messed up. You are experiencing the judgment of God. He's saying that other language is being spoken in the nation of Israel on their soil as a sign of judgment. So he says, in the law is written. And then what's interesting is, after he says that, we know that points us to Deuteronomy 28, but then he quotes Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 through 12, which says, for by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they will not hear. Again, the point of the passage, the point of the scripture here is to proclaim judgment to the unbelieving Jews in Judah who were rejecting the prophetic word of God. How many times you read in the Old Testament where a king or, or the leadership of Judah or the northern kingdoms or, you know, or, or Israel itself where they reject the prophet coming to them, and thus says the Lord, if you don't stop your wicked ways, God is going to bring judgment upon your house. And then, and then the leadership says, that's not from God. We reject that. And all they want to hear is good stuff. Just tell me the good stuff. You, you read that over and over and over again. That's what he's saying here. That, that's what's going to happen is the children of Israel are, are going to reject the prophetic word of God and they're going to experience this. And then hopefully, you know, and then it's, he goes on to say, yet they would not hear. He's talking about unbelievers who remain unbelievers, even though God is prophetically speaking and telling them exactly what they need to look for. How many people in the world are like that? We're prophetically telling people what to look for. Listen, there's a one world government coming. There's a ruler that's going to rise up and bring peace. And we have the prophetic word. We tell people, listen, there's a, there's a judgment coming, seven years of wrath, and then when you die, if you're not in Christ, you're going you're gonna to spend eternity in hell. 
And God doesn't want that for you. That's, that's the prophetic word of God. And yet people will not hear. And they will see these things come to fruition, but they will not hear. Because what we learn about signs, and this is so important, what we learn about signs is they're never meant to save. They're only meant to get our attention. How do we know this? Because we see that in the New Testament. Jesus, when he, when he did miracles, when he did signs and wonders, what was the point of that? Why did he do those things? It was to authenticate his message. The prophets in the Old Testament, why did they do miracles? It wasn't because they wanted to woo the people. It was to authenticate the messenger. To tell them, hey, this person's from God. You should probably listen to this person. Remember Isaiah when he called down fire from heaven? When he shut up the heavens from raining forever? Prophetically, God was showing the world that this man was from him and the things that he says come to pass. You should probably listen to him. Well, Jesus, when he steps on the scene, he performs signs and wonders not because that saves people, but because that points people to the message that he is proclaiming. And in fact, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ, you know, he asked this question in Matthew chapter 11, 25, speaking when, when now when John, speaking to the Baptist, heard in, in prison the, the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we seek, shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. What Jesus said to John through his disciples was, go tell him that the signs and wonders of Messiah are present. Why? Because it was pointing them to the message that Jesus would bring. They knew that he was who he said he was by the things that he did. But that still didn't bring salvation, folks. And so God continued to give signs. And in fact, you recall the famous verse from the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, who asked for a sign from Jesus. Oh, we've seen you do some of these. Now, can you show us a real sign? Like, can you give us something a little bit more here? Here's the amazing thing Jesus does. But notice what he says here in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 41. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except, here's the sign. Um, the sign of the prophet Jonah for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment for this generation and condemn it, for they will repent at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus said, listen, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. You want to know I'm Messiah? I've demonstrated it over and over again, but you want to continue to seek signs and wonders as if that's going to bring salvation to you. It will not. You'll continue to doubt. You'll continue to doubt. If you're looking for a sign or a wonder to figure out what God's will is in your life, you're going to be seeking the rest of your life because they're not meant to do that. They're meant to point you 
to, to the Lord in some way, shape, or form. They're not meant to bring faith. And so here's, here's what the Lord tells them. I'll give you a sign. And what was the sign? His resurrection. That, I don't know. That's a pretty big sign. I, I mean, I probably wouldn't have missed that. Maybe I would have. But that's a huge sign. And what did they do? They covered it up. They covered it up. Oh, well, you guys, those Roman soldiers came back to the, to the, to the, to the council of the Jews and told them what happened, that Jesus Christ had resurrected from the dead. And you know what they did? Here's some money. Go tell people that their, his disciples came in here and, you know, like took over, a, 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 you know, a brutal force of Roman soldiers, just a few of them. And then they took Jesus' body and they're acting like he resurrected from the dead. Signs and wonders do not produce salvation, folks. So we have to understand that. We have to know that as we move into what Paul is saying here. Now, what he says here, he, he quotes the law, and then he quotes Deuteronomy 28, Isaiah 28. Both of those speak of judgment. Both of those speak about it, that, that foreign, foreign languages become a judgment to the unbeliever. And I think like, well, hold on a second. But then Paul goes on to say in verse 23 that if people are speaking in tongues in the corporate setting, that they're going to walk out of there going, those people are insane. How does that work? This doesn't make sense to me. And, and so what you have to do in order to understand what he's saying is you have to keep the entire chapter in context. And this is so crucial when it comes to, to, to Bible verses that you don't just take an isolated verse out of the text it becomes a pretext at that point. It becomes a fault. You can't rightly interpret something if it's out of the context. Let, let me ask you this question. What is it that Paul is saying about the gift of tongues in the corporate setting in this chapter? What is he saying? Isn't he saying that, uh, that it's not profitable for everybody unless there's an interpretation? Isn't that really what he's saying? So that leads me to believe when I come to verse 21 where he lists out that the, that, that the tongues were a sign of judgment to unbelievers, that perhaps what Paul is saying is that tongues in general are not a sign of judgment to unbelievers, but perhaps what he's saying is the, um, that the, the gift of tongues in, in the corporate setting that are left uninterpreted become a sign of judgment to unbelievers. Why? Because they walk away saying, I don't want anything to do with the Lord now. They walk away in verse 23 saying, that's insane. I don't want anything to do with that. What I don't think he's saying is that the gift of tongues itself is a sign of judgment for unbelievers. That's not at all what he's saying. Because he says it has incredible benefit, not just for unbelievers, but for believers too. So is it just a sign for unbelievers? No. That would be to take the, take the verse out of context. What he's saying is it can be a sign of judgment for unbelievers if it's not expressed and interpreted in a corporate setting. But if, you know, but, but here's what he does say, that for the believer that, that speaks in tongues in and of themselves, it's edifying, it builds them up. So somebody's being built up, but for unbelievers without an interpretation, it becomes unprofitable. And in fact, it could be, it could be that it pushes them away from the Lord completely. You know, we'll never, 
be the scapegoat for somebody not coming to Christ. I, I want you to know that. But the enemy can sure use you to help along that process. Do you know that? That by the, by the things that you say, by the actions that you take, that you can actually push people away from the Lord? Man, how many people uh, have been pushed away from the Lord because of Westboro Baptist Church who spew hate speech against people? They're not representing the Lord. They're representing their own ideologies. They take, you know, the devil is the master of deception and he takes partial truths and then he spews them out to people. And so he can do that to you too. Don't think for a second that he can't use a believer as his vessel of dishonor because he can and he does. Be careful about how you're utilizing, you know, how you're living your life, the things that you say to people. That's why it's so crucial that we allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us, man, because you're a representative of Jesus. And when people hear the word Christian and they, they, they know that you are a Christian, then they're looking for you for something different. You're never going to be perfect, but you certainly should be striving to do your best to represent Christ. Paul was telling this church, you guys have this stuff so messed up when it comes to the expression of tongues in the corporate setting that you're going to mess it all up. It could be a beautiful thing, but if it's not done correctly, it can represent judgment. But then he goes on to say, what about prophecy? What about prophecy? Oh, that's a sign for believers. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's a sign for believers? You, some of you are saying, I don't know, is this a trick, trick question? It, it actually kind of is a trick, trick question because ultimately, no, it's not. It's not a sign for believers. Do you know that word assign here is not even in the original text? That word assign, prophecy is assign. That word assign you can cross out in your Bible because it's not there. And in fact, if you look at the footnote on your Bible, you'll see it says not in the original manuscript. One of, one of the translators somewhere along the lines inserted that word to make it make sense to you. But what it does is muddy the water. Really what this text should say is it just to say prophecy is for believers. But it doesn't mean that it's not for unbelievers. Prophecy is beneficial for believers. That totally makes sense. Because the word of God is a spiritually discerned word. Right? You, you can't just pick the Bible up and read it and understand it. It's spiritually discerned. You need the Holy Spirit to teach you. If you ever come to any understanding of the Bible, it's not because you're super smart. It's not because you really, you know, get it. It's because the Holy Spirit is showing you. That's the only reason we understand the Bible, folks. How do I know? Because I was an unbeliever trying to read the Bible before. And in fact, I was an unbeliever going to church at one point in my life. I didn't believe in the Lord. Do you know, and, and I, I didn't even want to be in church, so my heart wasn't, wasn't ready to receive anything. I walked in just saying, this is stupid. Why am I here? Do you know what I heard? Nothing. Do you know what I heard? Charlie Brown's teacher. Wonk, 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 wonk. I'm not kidding you. Why? Because the Word of God is a spiritually discerned book. If you don't want to hear it, you will not hear it. If you don't have a heart to receive what's being said, you will not receive what's being said. There's this thing with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and your heart that all working together 
you know, for the Lord to do a work in your life. You have to willingly want to know. God could, by force, purely through his word, force you to believe in him. Because it's truth. And if he didn't allow your heart to turn hard against the word of God or to close your ears off to the word of God, to reject the Holy Spirit as he's speaking to you, you would be forced to believe. You would have no choice. Because it's pure truth. It's his word. But he doesn't do that. Paul says that prophecy is for believers. It is for believers. But then notice what he says in verses 24 and 25. He says, oh, by the way, it's for unbelievers too. Wait a second. I thought tongues were for unbelievers and I thought prophecy was for believers. Not the case. Both are beneficial, but both in context have, uh, you know, they play roles within believers and unbelievers. Paul is saying an unbeliever can walk into a church service if he's, if he's willing to hear, if he has a heart that's open to, to receiving what God is going to say to him, do you know that God will speak directly to that person? And in fact, he, he says here that that, that, um, that that person will become so convicted by the word of God that they will fall on their face and they will, they will know that, that, that God is among you. That they will feel so, they will hear so clearly from the word of God, you know, that the Lord is there. So, does God use prophecy in unbelievers' lives to draw them to himself? Yeah, he does. So, that's not at all what Paul's saying. And if you don't keep this in context to, uh, regarding the entire chapter of what he's saying, you'll totally mess this section up. And many people have messed this up. And I don't think at all Paul is saying that tongues are, are the, the, the sign of judgment for unbelievers. They can be, but I don't think that was God's intention. I think that man can make it that way by not utilizing the gift of tongues in the correct way. Prophecy, the same thing. It's not just that, oh, well, unbelievers, close your ears because you can't understand the word of God. You can't understand. Neither can you, believer, by the way, if your heart's not right. If you don't want to hear, you won't, you'll receive nothing. And sometimes we walk out of church and go, dude, I didn't get anything out of that today. Do you want to know why? It wasn't because the word of God isn't alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I'll tell you that. It also isn't because what was being taught wasn't beneficial to you. It's because of your heart condition. Were you, were you ready to receive? Man, that's convicting to me. That means that I can walk into a children's ministry class and when the word of God goes forth, I can receive something out of it. Because the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It has nothing to do with the speaker. It, 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 you know, the speaker can distract from the word of God. And if he doesn't quote the word of God, then there's no benefit in that. But if the word of God is going forth, listen, it never returns void. If your heart is to receive it, you will receive something. So Paul goes on here and he says, listen... When you come into corporate worship, you have to do it in a sane way so that people want to come back. They want to be part of it. The church of Corinth, they were, they were totally insane. And, and, and by the way, I don't know if you know this or not. Do you want to know how big the church of Corinth was? Do you know how many people it was? Just give me some ideas of how many people do you think were in the church of Corinth when Paul was writing this letter. Just throw some numbers out. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's, that's the gift of tongues right there. Hold on a second. This is out of order. 
Somebody said 10, somebody said 1,000, somebody said, listen, it was estimated 40 to 150 people. 40, this was a small church, folks. The church of Corinth is a small church. Did you know when you're reading the, the, the New Testament that most of these churches are kind of smaller? And in fact, they didn't meet in corporate settings like this. The church of Corinth, they probably met in little homes. Like they, they may have rented a space at some point. Nobody's exactly sure how that worked. But they probably uh, met in houses for sure. And then if they did come together at some point, maybe periodically, they would rent a space and they would come together. But it was a pretty small church. And so Paul is saying, listen, and I love that about God because you know what that says is that God says, man, I better catch this before it gets way out of hand, right? Like 40 to 150 people, I better catch it now before it really expands and goes crazy, right? So, so that's the way uh, th that, that he wants to do things. You see that with Ananias and Sapphira where the Lord said, man, I want to catch this before it becomes a problem in the church. And so he deals with it right away. He's dealing with this church because he wants us to be effective. He wants us to be effective in the corporate body. He wants us to have orderly worship. Third thing that we must have, third mindset we must have is a constructive mind. Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue... Let there be only two or at the most three in each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is one, if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So what Paul is saying is when we come together in the corporate setting, our mindset should be constructive. We should be thinking about building up, not thinking about elevating self. And that's exactly what was going on in the church of Corinth. Their mindset was, hey, let me build up myself. I've got something to share. Let me do it. And they would just randomly do it. It seems like, anyhow, they would just randomly pop up in the middle of the service no matter what was going on. Hey, I got something to share. Could you imagine? What would happen? Be chaotic. You would never be able to learn anything because there'd be constant interruptions. Have you ever had, you know, those of you who are parents, you know this, you're trying to have a conversation with somebody and your kids are little and they keep interrupting you and you're, you're never really able to have the conversation you want to have because you're constantly being interrupted. That's kind of like what was happening here. In the church service, their immature mindset was constant interruption and even when messages were going forward, maybe real words that God was giving this congregation were going forward, and yet they weren't able to be heard because there was so much chaos and so many interruptions going on. It, I, I liken this to that picture up there, like somebody who just, you know, you're going to build a house, and so you just go in and go, well, well here's the lumber, here's the nails. I'm just going to start nailing stuff. I mean, I'm just going to start doing whatever. This is going to be really fruitful. And before you know it, you have a jacked-up structure, right? <laughs> you're supposed to utilize blueprints when you build something like that. You need blueprints. I know guys don't like to read directions, but listen, you need them. Especially if you're putting a child set together, you need them. You, you need blueprints. 
But, but if you did that, it would, it, the structure would end up looking jacked up. And that's why Paul gives the blueprint to worship here. Now, this isn't a mandate. He's not saying this is exactly the way that it should be done. If you don't do this, you're not a real church, right? So here's what he says. Here's what he tells them. If you, when you come together, do this in an orderly fashion. If you want to allow, you know, different people to share and, and various things like that, do that, but do it like this. Make sure it's done in order. Make sure that you, you constantly are moving from one thing to another before, you know, don't interrupt each other is what he's saying. If somebody has a tongue, don't spend the whole service doing that. Allow one person to stand up in order and say, speak. And if they speak, uh, only if there's an interpretation, he says. So somebody's sort of moderating this. Somebody's sort of saying, that's biblical, that's not biblical. He says, if, you, if somebody steps, stands up and, and speaks in a tongue and there's no interpretation, he says, don't let anyone else speak in tongues in that service. Don't allow that to continue forward. Notice what he says at the end here. Don't stop tongues from, from you know, being presented in your midst. Don't do that. Don't go to that extreme. Just do it decently in an order. So if one person stands up, there's no interpretation, you say to that person, thank you so much, you know, but there'll be no more speaking in tongues today because there's no interpretation. If you have a tongue that you need to speak in that service, Paul goes on to say, you just do that between you and God. You just remain quiet and you speak to God in yourself because remember, it's a prayer of praise to God. Then he says, you know, if, if you want to, um, if somebody wants to, um, if somebody has a, uh, somebody wants to speak prophetically, let two or three people do that. But listen, don't just receive what's said here. Don't just receive what's said. There needs to be people that weigh that. So there's got to be mature people in that place that can all... Otherwise, if you don't have people who are saying, that's of the Lord or not of the Lord, you can totally sway an entire congregation by what's being said. Hey, anytime... I don't know about you, but anytime somebody comes up to me and says, thus says the Lord, you know, I'm thinking like, whoa, that sounds serious. That sounds pretty official. Thus says the Lord. Usually, I say, I don't know if that's the Lord right away. I don't know if that's the Lord. You know, let me hear what this person says. Let me run it through scripture. In my mind, means you need to know the word of God. Let me, let me, let me run it through the filter. Is that of the Lord or not? Do you know that's what you're supposed to do anytime the word of God goes forward? Hey, I'm glad that you're Bereans here because you do do that. You say, hey man, what is he saying? Is that in the word? Let me check this out, and I get to have conversations with you guys about, well, what did you mean by that? I don't know if I agree with that. Here's what the Word says about that. Oh, well, let, let's talk about it. It's awesome. I love that. But you have to do that, and you should do that every time. I don't care who's speaking. You should do that every time. You should have that, that biblical lens that is always constant, that biblical filter that's listening and waiting to see. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what's good. Make sure that it's from the Lord. People will say all kinds of crazy stuff, man. So he says, let two or three prophets speak. Don't spend the entire service saying, thus says the Lord. Then he goes on here. He says, if, if a 
if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. If the Lord speaks something, a revelation is to reveal. The book of Revelation is the revealing of Jesus Christ. It's revealing who Jesus is. So a revelation is the revealing of God, whatever it is that he's revealing. It's a revelation. So if somebody has a revelation, he's saying, hey, let that take precedence. Why? Why would he say that? Why is a revelation in this context, in this church, super important? And why do you think that doesn't apply for us today in terms of in, in the same way that it would back here? Because they didn't have the written word of God. They didn't have the written word of God. There, there, there is no new teaching coming out any longer, folks. The teaching is complete. Genesis to Revelation, is it in the word of God? If it's not in the word of God, I don't receive it. I'm not looking for new revelation. If you want to become a Mormon, they're looking for new revelation. If you want to become a Jehovah Witness, they're looking for more revelation. We are not looking for more revelation because we already have revelation. That doesn't mean that something that you encounter in the Word isn't revelatory to you. But it's not new. It's not something, it's, it's not some abstract teaching that all of a sudden God is going to insert in this world into his church. No, we have the completed Word of God. But back then they didn't. They didn't have that. And in fact, do you think when they're reading this letter from Paul that they're going, oh yeah, this is 1 Corinthians chapter uh, whatever. Do you think they're thinking that? They're thinking this is a letter from Paul who they do not respect, by the way. They do not respect him. The prophets in the Old Testament did not respect Isaiah. You and I go, whoa, that's crazy. They didn't respect him. And in fact, Paul goes on here, and he'll, he'll, he'll kind of defend himself, his apostleship here, because these people didn't, didn't respect him. But, but he said, listen, if revelation is being made, let the first be silent. Verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all can learn and be encouraged. But what you need to know is the Spirit is subject to the prophets. What does that mean? That just means that the Holy Spirit will never make you do anything. He's subject to you. In other words, if it's not an opportune time in the middle of a service for you to pop up and say a prophetic word, then you probably shouldn't do that because the, the, the Spirit's subject to the prophets. If the, if the Lord is moving you to, to do something, right? Maybe he's calling you to move to California. Whoa, wait a second. We're going the wrong way here. Maybe he's calling you to move somewhere. You know, really the ultimate thing you should be asking is when. Not when, Lord. You know, a lot of times in my life the Lord gives me a word for down the road because he knows he needs to prep me a little bit. Actually, he needs to prep my wife. Don't tell her that, though. She's right there. But he needs to prep us. And he, you know, so you just, you just pray through that. But, but the prophet is subject to the prophet. The Lord's never going to make you do anything. You have to actively engage and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to activate, um, I'm going to manifest the gift that I believe that you're giving me right now when you tell me to do it. Otherwise, it will not do that. I've heard people say that they just randomly start talking. Or they randomly start, you know, like, like something possesses them. That's not the Holy Spirit, folks. That's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit is subject to you. He's not going to make you do a single thing. But if you're open, he's going to do amazing things. He can do incredible things, but you have to be open. He goes on here, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. 
God doesn't want you confused in a corporate setting. He doesn't want you confused at all. He wants you to know. He's revealing himself to you constantly over and over again in various different ways. And a lot of times the same thing over and over again. I've been reading through the Bible for, you know, I've done it multiple times. And as I'm reading through it, I'm just thinking like, Lord, you keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm thinking, I'm getting tired of hearing this about the Jews. You know, like you keep saying, hey, just worship me and everything will go well. Just worship me and everything. And then he goes, but Tim, I have to do that to you too. And I'm like, oh, man. The reality of it is, is he wants us to know. And he will exhaust he, he can never be exhausted, but if he could, he would exhaust himself telling you the same thing over and over and over again because he cares about you. He loves you. He wants you to grow. He's not the author of confusion. If you can see confusion, if you're in a state of confusion, that is not the Lord. If you're wondering what you're supposed to be doing and you're totally confused about it, you need to pull back. You need to say, Lord, I'm just putting the brakes on until I hear exactly what you want me to do. Do not move forward in, in, in a chaotic state. You wait on the Lord. You wait on him because like I said, it could be the word that he's given you could be for later. Maybe it's not for now. Maybe he's just pre prepping you for that. Do not move into a state of confusion and, and think that's the Lord. That's not the Lord. He wants to bring peace in your life. He is the author of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. We have a promise. I love this verse in Isaiah 26, 3. You... You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You want perfect peace? You get your mind on Christ. You keep your mind on the Lord. This brings us to our final point. The call to orderly worship requires a submissive mind. Look at, look at the end of verse 33. All in the, um, as all in the church of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but should in submission... As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, this verse, again, is taken totally out of context. Uh, I, I think the Church of Christ, I don't know if they use this verse ex specifically, but they will take passages like this and say that women cannot pray in front of men. They can't do any of these kinds of things. That's not at all what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that women can't have any function in the church. Yes, there's male headship in the church. God established the authority that man, uh, that a man should be the leader and the woman should be the helper. You see that in the beginning of creation, right? So you see that. That's not a question, although it is in our culture for some reason. I don't know. I don't understand that. But it, in, the, in the biblical context, we see that God has given man a position. It's not because he's greater. It's because that's how he ordained it. And so the man is the leader. But that doesn't mean that women don't have a role in the church or they can't speak or pray or any of those kinds of things. That's not at all. We believe that the, uh, we just went through this as we went through First and Second Timothy. We're going to go through this again as we go through Titus. We start Titus in a few weeks. That, you know, women are not to teach men. That's not the way it works. That's not, there's an authoritative thing there in the Bible. And I know that's controversial. I, I, I see it that way. I don't think you can see it any other way. But it is what it is. So, but what Paul isn't saying is that women can't have a role. I love what Pastor Chuck said. He said, this isn't prohibiting them from praying and prophesying and exercising the other gifts of the Spirit. 
It's prohibiting them from calling across the room to their husbands and asking for an explanation of what's being said or what's going on. So apparently the, the, the church at Corinth had adopted this, this Jewish culture in their gathering together where the men would sit on one side, maybe the women would sit on the other side. And what would happen is because the man is the spiritual leader, the wife should ask the husband if she has questions. She should go to her husband and ask her husband. If she doesn't have a husband, she should ask her dad. She should ask the, 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 the man that has the spiritual head over her in that moment. She should ask him about these things. What was happening in this room was the women were asking questions in the middle of what, whatever was going on. And it was chaotic and crazy. And so Paul says, don't let that happen. Don't let that, just wait till you get home to ask the question or whatever, you know. But that's the way that it's supposed to be. And, uh, you know, well, what if, what if uh, I don't have a, a, a godly husband? What if I don't have, you know, someone that I can ask? Well, of course, you pray to the Lord. But listen, I'll tell you something. Uh, you know, ask your husband anyway if you have one. If he doesn't even, even if you're more spiritual than him, ask him. Make him grow. Ask him, hey, what do you think about this? I, I think it's biblical to do that. And if you don't know, then you should both come and ask. So you can both learn something, right? Or if, even if your question can be answered, who knows? But that's the way that it should be. Paul isn't saying that women have no role in the church. He's just saying that, that in what was happening here was chaotic and it shouldn't be done that way. Verse 36, or, or was it from you that the word of God came? This is where Paul addresses the arrogance of the church of Corinth. Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. What, what Paul addresses here is this, this, this rejection of him and what he's saying. There must have been people in this congregation that were saying, well, I don't care what Paul says. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I'm of this person. I'm of that person. I don't care what Paul the what? The apostle, by the way. Paul the apostle, the sent one of God, the one that God called to go to the Gentiles, these are Gentiles, to reveal the gospel to, that Paul. But they're rejecting what he's saying. And so he says, Oh, I didn't realize that I was amongst the people of cornered Christianity. I didn't realize that the word of God was only being expressed through you guys. It's, it's you know, he probably isn't saying it like that because I think he's saying it in love. And I'm being a little, you know. But, uh, but what he was saying is he's saying, listen, if a person isn't willing to, to hear what I have to say, like, because what he's saying is the word of God, then they should be rejected. They, should be, they shouldn't have a place to speak in that setting. They shouldn't be uh, allowed to be recognized. If they're not willing to recognize the work of the Lord in the first place, they shouldn't be given a place to be recognized before you. And we take that really seriously. When people step into the pulpit, we take that really seriously. We, we don't want anyone to step into the pulpit that's going to say something that's not the Lord. And, you know, you should be praying for me every week that I don't say something 
that's not the Lord. But we certainly aren't going to let just anybody come in and say whatever they want to say from the pulpit. They, there's a process. They need to know the Word of God. They need to have a certain mindset because we don't want to contradict what's being said. And it appears that what was being said in the church of Corinth was contradicting what Paul was saying. Or people were saying maybe what he was saying wasn't inspired. But listen to what he says. I am writing to you, what I'm writing to you are the command of the Lord. I'm not writing my opinion to you. I'm not writing what I think about these things. I'm writing the command of the Lord to you. So if you're rejecting what I'm saying, you're rejecting what God's saying. And let me tell you, that happens all the time, folks. We get our feathers ruffled by the Word of God, and then we say, oh, but that's your interpretation. Well, that's just your interpretation. And it could be. There are plenty of places where there's questions about interpretation, even the thing that we talked about earlier with the gift of tongues and the sign of judgment. There's all kinds of different thoughts about that. You know, but at the end of the day, what is the clear teaching of the Word of God relating to the subject that you're talking about? You know, that's what you need to know. That's what you need to look at. And the things that are, are questionable, you know, we talk about the rapture of the church. We believe pre-tribulation rapture. We think the Bible very clearly says that. Many people don't believe that. It's okay. We can still be in fellowship. That's not false teaching. That's a difference in opinion about how things are, are going to play out relating to interpretations of various different passages. It's okay to have that. You know, but, but when it comes down to direct, directly rejecting the word of God, then that's a different story. And that happens more than you think. Sometimes that happens to us when we're just reading the Bible. Like, man, I don't like what that says. Maybe I should just take that one out. Paul is saying that do not forbid the gifts of the Spirit to go forward in the church. I love that he says don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's a lot of mishaps going on and people are chaotic and out of order. Do not, do not throw the whole thing out the window. You know what? Do it right. Do it the way that it's supposed to be done. Do it in a way that elevates the Lord. If you do it in a way that elevates the Lord, it will build up the body of Christ. And that's exactly what he wants for you and I today. When he was writing this, he wasn't necessarily thinking about you and I, but the Holy Spirit was. And he was saying, listen, I know this is going to be a problem from, because the enemy wants to stop the work of God moving forward, and the Holy Spirit is key to the work of God moving forward. If we really want to be used by God, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. And if we're afraid of that or, you know, or we're, we're a little bit leery about that, then we're not going to fully be able to do everything that the Lord wants us to do because we have to be all in. We have to be 100%. You know, there can't be any constriction of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so this will close our sermon series on the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage you this morning, church, that if you've been listening for the last seven weeks and you're, you know, you're, you're confused about something or you're concerned about something or you're still not sure about something, would you come and talk to myself, Pastor Mike, Pastor Brian? We want, we want to help you because this is so crucial to the full body of Christ really functioning the way that God is calling us to. And then beyond these four walls, going into the world, and being the witness that we're called to be, he sent power from on high to live inside of you. And many of us have never experienced that power. 
Many of us have never really sensed that, that the, the, the true power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. And I tell you what, God wants you to sense that. He wants you to know that he sent you with power so that you can be the witnesses you're called to be. Amen. Worship team, will you come up? Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this last seven weeks in this series, Lord, of the Holy Spirit and for teaching us, Lord, the benefits of, of allowing the Spirit of God to work in our lives. Lord, you see so clearly what it is that you're calling us to be and the things that we need to have in order to do so. And so we ask you this morning, Father, if there's anything we're missing... If there's any disconnects in our hearts, Lord, relating to this subject, will you bring clarity to our hearts this morning? Will you help us to have the boldness to ask if we're not sure? Lord, will you do that work in our hearts so that we can be who you've called us to be? Lord, you're, you're asking us to be your witnesses on this earth. How in the world can we do that without the power from on high? the miraculous things that Jesus Christ has done for us. And we're to be his representatives. We're not looking for miracles, Lord. We're not looking for signs and wonders as if that's going to produce salvation. But what we want to do, Lord, is be your vessels. That you can flow through us, God, and you can do whatever it is that you want to do in our lives. To use us to whatever capacity you want to use us, Lord. And so here we are. If you're here this morning as we continue to pray, and you're sensing, Lord, I just want to, I, I need to surrender my heart to you this morning. Because I have not experienced the fullness of your Holy Spirit in my life. We're just going to ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit this morning that you can go out and be the witness that you're called to be. So if that's you, will you just lift your hand up? I want to pray over you this morning. Just a baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. God bless you. Is there anyone else that needs that this morning? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Listen, you've got to avail yourself to him this morning want the Spirit of God to work in your life. I'm not saying that He's not, but if you're not sensing that, you lift your hand up. I'll pray over you. God bless you. God bless you. We see you online. Those listening, the Lord sees your heart. Father, we lift up all of those who are here this morning just saying, God, here am I. Lord, send me. I need your Holy Spirit in my life, God, and I want to be the vessel of honor for you and so I know I need to be filled this morning will you fill me with your spirit will you baptize me afresh with power Lord from on high Father we thank you for those who have lifted their hands and I ask you to give them a special blessing as they go their way Lord that they can sense that they're they're leaving different Lord with a fuller sense of your presence Lord not that we get more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit get more of us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that blessing. We thank you that you promise us if we come to you and we ask for your Holy Spirit, that you will, as a good, good Father, give him to us. And so we praise you this morning, Lord. I do want to lift up every father in this place one more time, Lord. 
Fill them. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit. And help us to be the leaders that you called us to be. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son Jesus, for his death on the cross and for salvation that comes through the blood of Christ and his resurrection alone. Take us from this place, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.